So as I was walking this morning, I thought, you know, I think our church could use that message. He called the message, um, in, uh, help for discouraged believers. And he was talking about how the fact that, that in times like this, it can be discouraging. For trying to move, we're sitting here as a church, we're sitting here as a fellowship of believers, and we don't know where we're going to be in the next month or two months. We don't know where we're going to be meeting, how we're going to be meeting, how we're going to work it out. Um, a lot of people, there's, I mean, we're threatened with, with, with illness, we're threatened with economic situations. Um, boy, it's, it's just, it's just kind of a tough time. And as a pastor, it can be very discouraging to be in a situation like this. And, and you know, we need encouragement though. I, I really enjoy, I, I'll tell you what, when you think of a, when you think of a spiritual superhero, wouldn't you think of Paul as being an example of a spiritual superhero? We um, remember back we went through the book of Acts and my goodness the stuff that guy went through and he kept being persistent and he was he had been in I think th- three shipwrecks he'd been beaten with whips he'd been beaten with rods anything else Hudson had loads of trials had loads of went to, went through all kinds of trials he'd been arrested he'd been put in jail um, he'd been bitten by a snake it was tough to be in that situation. And the poor guy, and I'm, one of my devotions now I read this morning as he wrote to Timothy, he said, I've endured all things. And I think I preached on that a few weeks ago. He had endured through all these struggles and all these trials. And sometimes, believe it or not, even the most spiritual and godly people can get discouraged. You know, in an ideal world, you could say, well, you're supposed to be trusting God. You shouldn't be getting discouraged because if you really trusted God, you wouldn't get discouraged. Because you would just trust God to keep you going. Well, I'll tell you what, when I have discouraging times, I am glad that I'm in the company of guys like Paul. Because he was discouraged. When the 2 Corinthians, the whole beginning of 2 Corinthians, he talked about the struggles he's going through, the tough time he's gone through. And that when it comes down to chapter 2 and verse 12 of 2 Corinthians, well, back a little bit. Um, he had, he was, for back in, back in chapter one, he wrote, um, for we, uh, where are we here? For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble which came unto us in Asia. We were burdened beyond measure, beyond strength. And then Paul himself says, we despaired even of life itself. What do you think that means when he said we despaired of life itself? How discouraged do you think he was? Do you think he was tired of living? But it sounds like, doesn't it? We despaired even of life itself. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from a so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. So he, he was having a tough time. And as you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and if you have, if you have a Bible on your phone or your tablet or you have a Bible with you, I'd love you to follow along with me. It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a, a neat little passage here. It talks about something very, very special. 2 Corinthians 2 chapter um, 12 through 17. He says, he writes to them, Therefore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my soul or my spirit, because I did not find Titus, my brother. 
But taking my leave of them, I departed to Macedonia. Now that reads pretty easy, doesn't it? Do you realize what we're saying? He was in Troas. He probably planted a church here because we read about them going back to Troas. God opened the door in Troas. And you would think as a missionary or as a church planter, you'd be delighted that God opened a door for you. He said, God opened this door for you. But what does it say about his spirit? He says, I was troubled in my spirit because I could not find Titus. And here's Paul, our spiritual superhero, the greatest missionary who's ever walked the face of this earth, who got so discouraged in Troas that he left because they couldn't find Titus. And he walked away from Troas hoping to bump into Titus, his friend, because he was so discouraged he couldn't stand the discouragement any longer. I've only been... I, I, used, to, I used to hear stories of people who had depression or got severely depressed. And I used to hear stories and I thought, how can, how can, how does that happen? How can Christians get depressed? Well, we've been through a few situations over the last few years. <coughs> when we all, we all know what discouragement and depression are. It's that heavy weight that comes on you. Sometimes it's like a dark cloud. Sometimes it's worse than a dark cloud. Sometimes when you get depressed and discouraged, all you want to do is stay in bed and not deal with anything. Well, from this, Paul had the spirit of life, and here he finds out, even though God opened a door in Troas, he got so discouraged, he left, trying to find his friend Titus. Sometimes we forget that these people were just people like us. We think they would mean, oh, well, he's a Bible character, but they were people like you and me. So what did Paul do when he realized this? What did he, what, how did, where did he turn? His ministry wasn't going well. He was in Troas. He had a troubled spirit. But then look at verse 14. All right. He says, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. Um, but taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. And then he says, in one translation, but then. Here in my New King James, he says, but, verse 14, now, Here's the excitement. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through uh, the, through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge to every place. Now, if you don't know the story of the triumph, this is not going to mean a whole lot to you. Paul had lived in a, a Rome, the Roman province of Judea. The triumph, that's all it was called, it was called, and this triumph was a was a was a parade, a big massive celebration, and it was for a general. There were all kinds of requirements. They had to have totally beaten the enemy. The enemy had to surrender. They had to have taken prisoners. They had they've had they had to kill at least five thousand of the enemy. And so this was a huge victory parade as they came back to Rome or they came to the capital of the province. Jerusalem had very likely seen at least one or two of these triumphs. And the triumphs, they started out at the very first, this is so funny, at the very first of the triumph, there were all the politicians and local officials. They were the first guys in the parade. Makes sense, doesn't it? Politicians always take credit for the parade. Then after them were the priests. 
And as the priests marched, and I've read two different accounts, I've read reports about how when before they came into the city, that they, they had thrown rose petals on the street so the horses and the soldiers release this fragrance. I've also read that these priests, you, you know, you, you've seen priests swinging these um, incense thingies and diffusing an incense into the air. Well, that's, so you had your politicians, then you had your priest coming along, swinging these censers. That's what it's called. It's called a censer. Censer. Swinging these censers. All the beauty, all the lovely fragrance was coming forth. It was a smell of victory. Uh, it was an amazing thing to experience. And then behind them came the prisoners. And, be, and so all the prisoners, they, they showed off the prisoners, marking, marching in humility. Behind the prisoners, were a bunch of guys beating up on the prisoners. Okay? They proved that they had won this fight. And then there were the musicians. Trumpets and martial music and we've all heard that we've all heard marching bands and that came next. And then after that was the general. He was riding usually on a chariot pulled by white chargers. This is what people expected Jesus to do. They expected Him to march in as the triumph. And He was regaled and hailed and praised and, and it was a sign of absolute, total victory. When Paul says that Jesus causes us in every situation to march in the triumph that's what he's talking about. Despite our despair, despite our discouragement, despite times we get so down we can hardly stand it, despite COVID and despite economic situations that are just going to get worse, and despite violence in the streets, and despite people fighting over how they're going to respond to the COVID virus, despite all of that, Okay, that's that, that kind of is that enough of what's going on? Pretty much about okay, a lot more than that. But despite all of those things, all right, you got that? We still are marching in the great triumph of Jesus Christ, the great parade of victory, and it says that He always causes us to triumph, to march in the triumph parade. Isn't that an amazing picture? No matter what you and I or all of us together are going through today, we have the promise that He will allow us to march in triumph. We have a lot of passages of Scripture that back that up. Um, Colossians, it was also used in Colossians 2.15, Colossians 2, where we read, Jesus has, has spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly. Remember I told you the prisoners were marching in the parade? triumphing over them in it. He leads this parade. It was a great victory. As to be led in triumph by man is the most miserable, so to be led in triumph by God is the most glorious. A glorious lot that can befall any of us. The only true triumphs of God are triumphs over us. His defeats of us are our only victories. We march in triumph in Him, and despite all the setbacks we're facing, we still we still read clearly that He allows us to triumph. We don't have to be a part of all the nonsense and the rubbish that's going on in this world. As much as it tries to draw us in, 
Especially in a day like today when social media is there and there's news outlets and this stuff is always, always, always before us. Despite all that, the Bible tells us that we can march in triumph in Jesus Christ. The source of our fragrance, I think as it begins here, yeah, the source of our fragrance is this triumph parade. He always, always leads us in triumph. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory and through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 5 verse 4. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. Romans 8 37. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We don't have to be defeated no matter how bad this situation gets. And we have no idea what the future holds, do we? Does anybody have any idea what this world is going to look like on the 1st of September? Any idea? Are the schools going to open? Are the jobs going to come back? Are the pubs going to be open? Are we? Are they going to drop the social distancing standards? Are we all going to unmask by the first? We don't have any idea, do we? But it doesn't really matter for us because we still have a job to do. We can still march in triumph. We can have victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not only that, in fact, we have the victory through Jesus Christ. He has already made us victorious. And thank God for that victory through Jesus Christ. It's ours. Do we believe it? I sometimes, I get up and I read the news and some new horrible stories happen during the night. And sometimes you just feel like, I mean, it gets discouraging. I remember that 15 weeks we were out of church. Mary can tell you what a misery, what a terrible person I was on Sunday morning, knowing that we couldn't get together. And as the weeks went by, it felt worse and worse and worse. And we got, and got more and more feeling defeated and alone. And yet God allows us to maintain our victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can keep on going and going and going. I read a book called Pilgrim's Progress. I've not read it in a couple of years. But there's a situation where Christian is in a battle with Apollyon. Apollyon is another name for Satan. And he feels like, at one point, he's totally beaten. Has anybody ever felt that way? Like you were totally beaten spiritually? You ever felt like you had no spiritual strength left? You ever felt like, how much am I supposed to take? How bad does it have to get? I remember years and years and years ago, I remember a morning we got up. Um, I got up one morning and everything bad had happened. Everybody had walked, we were, we were, we, everybody had left the church. We had lost some financial support. Everything was looking bad. And I literally, I literally went down to the canal and I was sitting on, um, down by Tandy's Bridge. Well, there used to be a blue bench sitting there. And I was, I was really angry with God. Okay? I felt like, how much more do you want out of me? I think I even told God that. What do you want out of me? We've left our family. We've come to this country. We've done our best. We keep plodding along. And this happens and this happens and this happens. What do you want me to do? That's how discouraged I was. And then God said, God gave me Pat Scripture after scripture, after scripture, after scripture. God can save by many or by few. He gave us the, don't be weary in well-doing for in due season you will reap if you faint not. Passage after passage. Anyway, let me read, let me read to you from Pilgrim's Progress. Um, Christian's on the ground, alright? He's, he, he, he's, he, he's lost his sword. 
He's not using the word of God. He's on the ground. He's ready to be defeated. And then he says, then the Bible, then the, the book says this. Then Apollyon, espying his opportunity, began to gather up close to Christian and wrestling with him, gave him a dreadful fall. And with that, Christian's sword flew out of his hand. Then said Apollyon, I am sure of you now. And with that, he had almost pressed him to death. So that Christian began to despair even of life. But as God would have it, while Apollyon was fetching his last blow, thereby to make a full end of this good man, Christian nimbly reached out his hand for his sword. And he grabbed his sword. You know what our sword is, don't you? From the armor of God? The sword is the word of God. He grabs his sword and he says, Rejoice not against me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. I'm going to get back up. Micah 7 verse 8. And with that, he gave Apollyon a deadly thrust, which made him fall back as one that had received a mortal wound. Christian, perceiving that, made at him again, saying, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Romans 8.37 And with that, Apollyon spread forth his dragon's wings, and he sped him away, that Christian for a season saw him no more. Where does that promise come from? James 4, 7. Resist the devil and... Anybody? Resist the devil and... He will flee from you. Christian stood. He grabbed his sword. He, gra- he used the word of God. He stabbed out at Apollyon and he, did, he took off and he didn't see him. Notice he says, for a while. So the source of our fragrance is the victory parade through Jesus Christ. So why do we have this now? Why do we have this? Why do we, why are we allowed to march in this victory parade? Why are we allowed to march in the triumph? Reasons it starts in verse 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph and the Lord Jesus Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of the, of His knowledge in every place. Um, Aren't diffusers, aren't they the things that you keep in the house to put oils or things in? Aren't they called diffusers? Uh, those scenty looking things? Alright, he says our task is that we can diffuse the knowledge of God in every place. So the goal of this fragrance, what the reason for our fragrance, is that we as Christians, as we walk through this life, as we walk through this world, as troubled as it might be, those this 30 or so some people of us in this room, we are to go out from here renewed and refreshed. And as we go out to work or wherever we go tomorrow, there ought to be, I hate to put it this way, there ought to be a certain aroma. Is that a, is that a positive word? <laughs> aroma, can it be a positive word? There ought to be a certain aroma about us. There ought to be a certain something when we meet people. They know there's a difference in us. They know that we are... Why are we different from the world? And this aroma ought to be clear to people around us. And he says three groups. Three groups that receive this aroma. I don't know whether I'm doing them in order or not. But first of all, we are to be a sweet-smelling savor to God Himself. 
As I go through my life and as you go through your life and go through these troubles and realize that God has given us the victory, as we march in this triumph parade with the bands playing and the incense burning and the, and the prisoners being marched and we're riding in victory like the king on that chariot and we're coming through the streets and as we go through life, we are, we are diffusing to God a sweet smelling savor. One of the sacrifices of the Old Testament was a was a savory offering. It was a, a in, an incense offering. My life, your life, if, as a believer, it ought to be diffusing a, a, a savor, an aroma that is pleasing to God. Let's look at our lives, each of us. Okay, I'm, I'm joining myself in this. How about if we look back to this last week we just came through? All right, this is not... Don't think about anybody else. Think about your life, and I'll think about my life. This week we have just come through. Has my life offered up a sweet-smelling fragrance that has pleased God? Have my words and my decisions and my actions, have they been the kind of thing that's a sweet aroma that pleases God? It's a very tough question to ask yourself, isn't it? Pretty hard. But that's why we march in this triumph parade is to be a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God Himself. Sometimes, I know that my life smells more like a dead rat than a pleasant aroma. You ever smelled a dead rat? Ugh. Amy was talking about a dead rat this morning. Yeah, and, and, and Amy and um, Eva were talking about dead things this morning. Doesn't smell good at all, does it? Nearly as bad as a rotten potato in the middle of a bag of potatoes. That's awful as well. Alright? How often does my life smell more like that rotten potato than it does a sweet-smelling savor? I'm not one for all these fragrances that you ladies like in your smelly candles and stuff. And, and, and so, sometimes it's just, I just, well, I, 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 yeah, I just live with it, okay? But God's life always sends, our life should always send up a sweet-smelling savor for God Himself. Does your life and does my life produce this savor that pleases God? All the time. That's our goal. That means our attitudes, our actions, our words, our spirits, our testimonies, all of it, should constantly be this sweet-smelling aroma. And when the people, when the readers in Corinth read what Paul wrote here, they were imagining this triumph parade and the smells that came up off of the triumph parade. You know what's even more amazing? In the middle of that parade, there were animals, there were dirty prisoners, there were soldiers just from the battlefront. But what stuck out during all that time? Not the stench. But the smell of the aroma of victory is what stuck out in their minds. So first of all, we're a sweet-smelling savor to God. Second of all, and again, like I said, I'm not sure which order I'm doing them. We are to be a sweet-smelling savor to those around us, those, those who believe. When I meet fellow believers, they ought to be refreshed. I read of Anisiphorus this week in one of my devotions. I read about Anisiphorus who Paul said always refreshed him. When you meet other believers, when you meet friends and you meet other believers, are you a refreshing spirit to them? Do they leave saying, 
I'm so glad I was here with them today. We've had a couple chances of fellowship this week. We're with Caroline Ash last Sunday night and Jan Holly yesterday and a couple other occasions we've had to be with people. And I wonder, you know, when I leave a situation like that, have I refreshed my Christian friends? Or have I drugged them down to my discouragement? Instead of being discouraged, we need to realize we walk in triumph and, and be a special fragrance to the to other believers. Do we do that? That's part of why we fellowship. That's why we had to come back together. And I'm so grateful that God gave us that opportunity. For 15 weeks, guys, we didn't have this blessing. We sat home, we texted, we WhatsApped, we call on the phone, we tried video things. Doesn't do the same, does it? We come here, we're refreshed, and we're built. I'm refreshed standing up here just seeing my family in front of me. That just, that just boosts me every week. And that's part of what we're supposed to do with each other. When we meet somebody for a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or a meal or whatever, it ought to be a time of mutual refreshing. I mean, sure, we're going to get talk about stuff that's going on. But if I'm talking about something that's bothering me, if you are doing your job as a believer, what should you be doing for me? Refreshing me. Being like that sweet-smelling savor. If you come to me and you're having a hard time, rather than commiserating with your misery... I can be compassionate. I can understand. But isn't it my job to refresh you and to be that sweet-smelling savor around you? So a sweet-smelling savor <coughs> is to God. It's to believers. It's also to the lost, for those who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. This is where we can make all the difference in the world. Because if we're exuding that sweet-smelling savor, it's going to be a constant reminder to people that they don't have that in their lives. And sometimes they're not going to like it. That's what the the passage even refers to that. Sometimes they're not going to like the fact that we're a sweet-smelling savor because they don't have it and they miss it and they're not going to like the fact that we have it and they don't know what to do about it. And sometimes they're going to shut us down. Because they don't have that in their lives. It's the Holy Spirit convicting hearts. Oh, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that our, our sweet smelling... It doesn't change. We're just as sweet and loving, as compassionate and, and caring and, and good smelling in that spiritual sense. Whether we're talking to Christians or non-Christians. Because it's going to impact everyone we meet. We need to realize the importance of our testimonies. Every person we meet is going to be impacted either positively or negatively by the time they spend with me. And our task is to make sure it's always that refreshing spirit. And if they don't have the blessing of Jesus Christ, it ought to be something that is constantly drawing them into Him. They may not like it at the beginning, but when they see the consistency of it, it ought to be a savor that draws them to Him. All right. Um, Verse 16. I just got through verse 16. We are not as so many, he says, in verse 17, and we're done here. We are not as so many who peddle the word of God, but as of, not of sincerity, but from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ Jesus. Our lives need to be different. Our motivation is sad. I know people who have 
dabbled with Christianity for many, many years. And their whole notion about why they do this is because they want something for themselves out of the relationship. And they don't always get it. And then we have, and there's then the problem here is we need to be aware of false teachers who don't preach the word of God out of sincerity. They're preaching it, they're hucksters. And there are false teachers out there. All you have to do is turn on any cable Christian or Bible Christian channel on cable. And yes, they've got their share of good teachers, but my goodness, they're packed with false teachers who are peddling the word of God for their own advantage. I could give you names, and we all wouldn't have to do the names. Who guys who are multi-billionaires with a fleet of jets and private airports and huge mansions saying they are serving Jesus Christ. Preaching a false doctrine. Preaching anti-God teaching. We need to be careful that we're not taken on by these hucksters, by these, these ones who use the word of God deceitfully. How do we, how do we solve that problem? We say it every week. How do we solve the problem of hucksters and, and false teachers? You know what the Bereans did? Remember the Bereans in the book of Acts? What did the Bereans do to make sure when they heard teaching? What did they do to make sure they were being taught right? Anybody? Search the they searched the scriptures daily to see whether it's so. That's why I would love for you guys to bring a Bible or a Bible on your phone to church. I want you to listen to what I say. I want you to examine it by Scripture. I want you to compare Scripture. I want you to go home with maybe some notes and think about what I preached and look it up. And I want you to check it out. And Because if I'm wrong, if I'm preaching false doctrine, I want you to call me up on it. I try not to. I do my best to be faithful. But I've said some stupid things from the pulpit before. And I've been blessed that somebody has come to me properly and and, and addressed me about that and said, you know what, Roger, I don't think you got that right. And I look at him and they explain and I say, you know what, I think you're right. We need to be be beware of false teachers. But that wonderful fragrance, and we're done with this. The Triumph Parade... We always walk in the triumph. As we go through the parade, the parade is emitting that wonderful fragrance that should be a fragrance to God Himself. Is your walk, is your life, a sweet-smelling fragrance coming up to the nostrils of God? Is your life, does your life have the kind of fragrance that encourages fellow believers? And does your life have the kind of fragrance that challenges non-believers? We are at probably one of the best times in my life to make a difference. I've been alive 65 years. I've been a Christian 45 of those years, basically. And we've never had the kind of opportunity that we have right now to make a difference. People are desperate. People are panicked. People are terrified. And it doesn't help that the media is feeding that terror. You and I have a chance to go through life this week on our walks with our friends at work to be that wonderful, sweet-smelling savor which pleases God all week and we never, we, we don't know the impact it's going to have on those around us. And we're walking in triumph. We don't even have to fight the battle. The battle's already been fought. Jesus gave us the victory and all we have to do now 
is walk in that triumph parade. And as we walk in that triumph parade, we put off this fragrance to God, to other believers, and to those who need to hear the gospel. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the challenge to my own heart. I thank you for the power of your word. Lord, I pray that we would take this to heart and that we would, we would, um,